Mark 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Father God, we lift up your holy name. Jesus, the name above all names. Father, we thank you for this gathering, for the privilege and opportunity to come together to praise you, to celebrate you, to learn and grow in our walk with you. Lord, we thank you for our faith, your faithfulness to us. Even when we wander or get distracted, Lord, you never give up on us. Lord, help us to turn toward you again today, Lord. Lord, soften our hearts and open our minds to the teaching that you have prepared for us and bless Pastor Josh as he shares with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, go ahead and grab a seat. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. I'm Josh. Uh, and uh, it's exciting because today is my first uh, official Sunday uh, preaching today. So it's been, yeah, so... So it is an exciting day for me, and I know it is for our whole church here together. And as we get started in this new season, I want to, start, I want to talk about how you start things. Uh, because the way you start things matters, right? And we know, we know this um, instinctively that uh, the beginning of something is an important moment in any journey, right? How you start a trip matters, Right? Have you ever been on a trip and, uh, and you got maybe 20 to 30 minutes into the road trip, the vacation, and realized that you left something at home? And then you have this moment, you have this internal dialogue, or maybe if you're married, you have an external dialogue about whether or not you're going back for that thing. And, and, and here's how that will go. One of you will say, we don't need it, we can buy it when we get there. The other one will say, no, we need it. We can't replace that. And so you, you have this debate because how we start things matters. How you start your day matters. Right? If you're anything like me, you start your day the exact same way. I have a routine. I wake up. I literally do 
everything in the same order every single day. I'm super fun. And, um, but if you have ever had this moment, maybe you've had this moment, because I know I have, where you've gotten maybe 30 minutes, an hour into your day, and you just think, what if I just went back to bed? <laughs> like, what if we, like, what if we just started over? Why? Because how we start matters. How you start a job matters. Your first impression at a job matters. Your first impression in a relationship matters. How we start things matters because it sets the tone for what lays ahead. It sets the tone for how things go. And we've all had situations, we've all had seasons where we started incorrectly, where you started school incorrectly, where you started a job incorrectly, or even a relationship, and you've had to maybe even say, hey, let's, let's redo this conversation. Let's, let's replay this. Because we know that the beginning is an important thing. And, and so as we get started in this new season as a church, I thought it would be important for us to look at how to start, how to begin. How do you start a new season? How do you, how do you move forward from a previous season? What changes in a season? And so to do that, we're going to spend the next five weeks looking at Mark chapter 1. And what happens in Mark chapter 1 is that is how Jesus starts his ministry. That is how Jesus begins. And so we're going to try to extrapolate out what are some things that Jesus did in his ministry as he gets started that are important for us as a church. Now, Mark chapter 1, if you don't have a church background or maybe you're new to church, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus' life and teaching. And they finish and they climax with Jesus' death and resurrection. And as you move into the book of Acts, you see Jesus ascend back into heaven. Now, each Gospel is written to a different audience written with a different theme, like Matthew's gospel is written to show that Jesus is the king. Mark's gospel is written to show that Jesus is a servant. Now, what's interesting is that in Mark's gospel, uh, Mark is the shortest gospel, and Mark can't get to the crucifixion and the final week of Jesus fast enough. Almost half of Mark's gospel is actually the final seven days of Jesus's life before the crucifixion. And so Mark is going as fast as possible to, to get to this moment because this is how he shows that Jesus is a servant. Now in Mark 1, Mark skips over all of Jesus' childhood. And when Mark 1 opens, we see Jesus as a 30-year-old beginning his ministry. Now this is important. Before something starts, this is incredibly important. Before anything starts, relationship, job, any change in your life, before any thing starts, there's a preparation season. There's always a preparation season, right before you take a trip. Hopefully, you got to take some kind of summer trip this, this summer. Since last summer, almost no one got to go anywhere. But when you take a trip, there's a preparation to it. You decide, where are we going? What, what things do we need to pack? You know, are we, we going to go to see water? Are we going to the mountains? And so it's incredibly important. You decide which route you're going to take. There's a preparation to it. When you go to get a job, there's a preparation. You interview, you research them, you, you look on, you, you know, Glassdoor and see what kind of company is like. When you go to school, you, you apply for it. In the same way for us as a church and for me personally, there was a preparation season to this coming season. There was a preparation that we walked through as a church. As a church, we've just walked through this season of an intentional interim time and preparing for what's next. I remember when I met Greg, the intentional interim pastor, and he told me, he said, Josh, my one goal is to prepare the church for you. He said, that's what I'm doing. 
That's my entire goal. And so he encapsulated what the last two years, whether you realized it or not here, the last two years have been a preparation for the season to come. But here's what happens with seasons. Sometimes we try to rush into the next season. We do this in life a lot. I remember when our kids were young, and we had three kids under three and a half, and we planted a church. And, um, and I don't really remember anything from that season at all. And, but here's what people would tell us. Savor these moments, Josh. They're, it's going to go so fast. And do you know what all I could think? All I could think of is I just want to take a nap. Right? And so when we're in the midst of a season, and maybe you feel this right now, where, where all you can think of is, I just want to get to the next season. And what happens if we rush through the season of preparation, we're not actually ready for the next season. And so Jesus is in the midst of this preparation season from zero to 30 as he prepares for his ministry that just lasts three years. And so here's what will happen so many times, because we long for the next season. We'll say, well, how long does this season last? Well, it depends. Jesus had a preparation time of 30 years. Moses had a preparation time of 40 years. David had a few years, right? So maybe your, your preparation time may be Moses. I don't know. You may get 40 years. I, I don't know. But if we try to skip it, if we don't think through what, we're, what God's trying to show us, we're actually not ready for the next season. And so as Jesus begins this in Mark 1, we see as he gets started something incredibly important. And so John comes, and John is baptizing, and John is preparing the way and this is what it says in Mark chapter 7, or Mark chapter 1, verse 7. John proclaims, one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so John, John is the one who prepares the way for Jesus. John is the one who's getting people ready. John is the one who is fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah said thousands of years before that one will come before the Messiah. Now here's the thing. John, everybody's coming out to the wilderness to hear John teach. People are coming out to hear, you know, what John has to say. People are coming out so that John will baptize them. So John is, his star is rising. But John says, I'm not the one you're waiting for. See, and here, here's an incredibly important thing as, as you shift in seasons. When seasons change, our roles change as well. Right? When you're, when you're a parent, you know, your kids, they're just relying on you as a, as a toddler. In elementary school, you know, you can largely still tell them what to do, and, you know, and they, they mostly will listen with some cajoling. As teenagers, your entire role changes. You are now the dumbest person your kids know. The same thing happens in relationships. There are seasons where friends are very, very close to us and very, very dear to us, and then seasons change. Nothing bad happened. It just changed. And sometimes when that change happens, we're unprepared for it, and we're not ready for the next season, and, and we're not ready, and we think, oh, well, I was just, they needed me before. They, they, I was the one that they called all the time, and how come they don't call anymore? 
But John, because he knew who he was and he knew what God had called him to, he was able to say, in this season, I'm the one who just prepares the way for Jesus. And so as we move into this new season as a church, there, there are things that, that we're unaware of that will happen. There are things right now that, that we are beginning to be prepared for that we don't know what they are. There's a role that maybe you played within this community in the last five years, and in the next five years, it's gonna be different. And so the question is, do we, as individuals and as a church, have the humility to step into that to say, I'll play the role that God calls me to play. Even if it means my star goes up, so to speak, or I become a little less important. And that's a hard thing to do. That, that's a hard thing to step into. That's a risk. John could have said, hey, no, no, no. Like, man, I'm the guy that, I've been baptizing forever, Jesus. Like, I, I was here before you. Like, I don't, know, I don't know if you realize, but this is where I baptize, so like, you can go like, down the river some, like this is my seat. This, this isn't yours. But no, John says, there's one coming after me. And I baptize you with water, but, but he has a different baptism. He has one of the spirit that changes you, that's supernatural. But here's what's interesting to me. Maybe you've had this question. As you read through Mark 1, why is it that Jesus would need to be baptized? See, when John shows up, this is what it says in Mark 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. So John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then in verse 9, skip down. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. Now, if you don't have a church background, uh, baptism is what happens after we begin following Jesus. Baptism is our response to show the change that has happened within us. And you might wonder, well, why would Jesus have to be baptized? There wasn't a change that happened in Jesus. And Mark is actually silent on this entire thing, but Matthew gives us a little bit more detail. This is what it says in Matthew uh, chapter three. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to say to him, I need to be baptized by you, yet you come to me. And Jesus answered him, allow it for now. Which feels a little bit like a dad in the car saying, just do it because I said so. Allow it for now. Because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John allowed him to be baptized. Which again, is what a, what a funny phrase. John allowed him. I guess Jesus. I guess we'll, you know. I, I, John allowed him. But as you read Matthew's gospel, remember, Matthew's gospel is written to show us that Jesus is the king. The answer that Jesus gives becomes clear. He says, so that all righteousness will be fulfilled. See, righteousness, when Jesus talks about it, refers to the whole person, a whole person's behavior, their will, their desires. It's lining up with the full will of God, the kingdom of God. As one author said, that righteousness is a heart-deep, faithful obedience to God. So repentance for us is this turning away, this moving to reorient our values and habits and loves and thinkings and behaviors towards God. Jonathan Pennington said that Jesus repents not in the sense of turning from sin, 
Our repentance includes this, but his does not. But in the sense of dedicating himself to follow God's will fully on earth. And so Jesus, as he gets baptized, as he starts his ministry, as he starts what God has called him to, what he's doing is he is fully dedicating himself to following God's will on earth. That this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to fully align ourselves with God's will on earth and fully dedicate ourselves to this. It means everything that we do, Monday through Sunday, all seven days of the week, everything we do is aligning ourselves with God's will here on earth. So that being a disciple of Jesus is that people could look at you and go, this is what it would look like if Jesus worked at that job. That you as a parent, you as a friend, that as a follower of Jesus, people should be able to look at us and say, that's what I bet it would be like if Jesus was my friend. That's what it looks like to align ourselves fully with what God is doing and how God is bringing about his kingdom. But you might think, but how does that happen? Like, like I'm not Jesus, so how does, that, how does that happen? How do I step into that kind of life? Mark tells us, look at verse 10 of Mark chapter 1. As soon as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Like I've always wondered with this passage, it says as Jesus came up, he saw the heavens being torn open. I don't know if anybody else saw it. I have no idea if the people on the banks saw the heavens being torn open. I don't know if, if they heard God's voice, but Mark tells us Jesus did. And up until this point, Jesus has simply just been living and working in Nazareth as a carpenter. He hasn't taught yet. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't performed a miracle. He hasn't done anything that would get him on the Forbes list of the 30 people under 30 you need to know. Nothing. And when he comes up out of the water, the heavens open, the Spirit of God descends on him, and God the Father speaks. Now, here's why this is incredibly important, because in this moment, this is, this is a picture of the Trinity. This is a picture of God three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But I don't want us to miss. See, so many times, here's what we think. I will be loved by God if I do this. I will be loved by God if I read my Bible every single day for at least an hour before the sun comes up. That's how I'll get God's love. I will get more of God's love if I do this. Right? Maybe you felt guilty as a friend and just thought, man, like there's no way God can love me because of the way that I just spoke to that person. Or maybe you've done something and thought there's no way God could forgive me for that. There's no way that God could love me. And we beat ourselves up and we beat ourselves up and we beat ourselves up and yet we see God loves before we do anything. God doesn't say, Jesus, I'm, I love you because, no, he just says, this is my son. With you, I am well pleased. See, if you're, if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down, that the foundation of the Christian life 
is that you are loved by God. The foundation of the Christian life is that you are loved by God. See, but here's what we do. I don't know if you realize it, but almost everything we do every day, and often without knowing it, it's so that someone will love and accept us. Almost everything we do. From the moment we get up to the moment that we go to sleep, almost everything we do. It's the reason that you looked in the mirror today. It's the reason you brushed your teeth. Thank you for doing that. It's the reason that you feel bad at different moments. Have you ever felt bad because you realized that somebody didn't like what you did? And it wasn't even a bad thing that you did. You just, you just did something that they didn't want you to do. This happens to me all the time where, where I'll do something and I realize that, that the other person just doesn't like what I do. It happens in parenting all the time for me where like my kids are just like, ah, like and I can sense their disappointment. Like and I can sense a friend's disappointment. And you know one of my first inclinations? It's, I don't just walk away and go, oh, well, you know what? You'll just have to deal with it. My first inclination is, well, let me, just, let me change what I just did then. Why? Because I want them to love me. I want them to accept me. And so we do so many things for people to love and accept us. We spend our lives trying to get love. See, many of you grew up knowing that you were loved by those around you. You grew up knowing that your parents loved you. You grew up knowing that people around you were proud of you. You had people who encouraged you. You had people who spurred you on. You had people who were affectionate in your life. You had people who gave you hugs and you weren't embarrassed by them. And you knew that you were loved. You had parents and people close to you who would hold you and say, I love you and I'm proud of you. But for others of us, you didn't get that. I still remember standing next to a man at the funeral of his dad and standing next to the casket and this man just sobbing. And in between the sobs, he just said, I will never hear my dad say, I love you and I'm proud of you. And just the ache that he had, just the wound, the the scar that he carried, right? So many of us have had people who were supposed to love us walk out on us. So many people who are supposed to be proud of us say, you're just a disappointment. And depending on what you knew growing up, for many of us, it shapes what we expect God to be like. So if you grew up feeling the disappointment of teachers and coaches, we think God's just got to be disappointed in me. If you grew up being told you need to to do this so that you'll be loved, we think, well, I just, I need to do these things so God loves me. I need to do more. I need to be like this. I need to do this because people in our family don't do this. And that's how I'll get God's love. And so we spend so much time, students, or maybe as an adult, you look back, we spend so much time and energy getting love from other people. We run into the arms of somebody else. I talk to countless students who tell me, you know, this is the major that I'm doing. What made you choose that major? Well, that's just what my parents wanted me to do. Well, do you want to do that? No. So why are you doing that? Well, you know, like that's just, we're doctors in our family. This is what we do. 
And that shapes us. And so then, we connect that to God. So many of us, I bet you can look back on the time with a regret and think, I wish I hadn't done that. And the reason you did it was for love. And so this is why God could have said anything to Jesus. God the Father in this moment could have said anything to Jesus when he comes up out of the water. He could have given him a directive. He could have given him a to-do list. He could have uh, quoted any verse in the Old Testament. Instead, he says, this is my son. And he names him and he says, he is loved. Because God wants us to know that the foundation of the Christian life, the foundation of following him is that you are loved. God didn't want us to miss it. He wants us to know that you are loved. See, and as a follower of Jesus, you and I get to live and experience the love of the Father. There isn't something else that you have to do. God isn't up there in heaven just looking down at you with a disappointed dad look. You know that look? Have you ever seen that look? God doesn't have that look for you. God doesn't have the disappointed dad look for you. God doesn't have the detached dad look for you. God has the look and the eyes of love. In fact, as one author said, God cannot help but see you through the eyes of love. That is how God sees you. See, you might think, but I don't know how to step into this. Like, how do we step into this? How do we live in this reality that God is love? God isn't about love. God isn't like love. No, God is love. It is the defining factor of who he is, which means it is supposed to be the defining factor of what it means for everybody who claims to follow him. It is the defining factor of who you are as a boss, as an employee, as somebody who uses social media, as a neighbor. Does your neighbor think, you know what, man, my neighbor, the defining factor of him is love. Your employees, the people you work with, your coworkers, See, I remember for years, for years, the idea that God loved me was just that, an idea. I would read verses like John 3.16, and it said that God so loved the world. I'm like, well, yeah, God loves the world, but, but I struggled to put myself in that word. I would read things in, in, you know, in the Psalms and Old Testament where it says you know, that God's wings cover over his people and protect them. And I struggled to believe that. I struggled to know that. Because anytime life would get out of control, I would just feel like I gotta step in and I gotta control it and, and I gotta protect the people around me and, and I can't be vulnerable in any kind of way because I don't know if God's gonna come through on this one. And it was a huge struggle. I would read through Luke 15 and I would see the prodigal father and the idea that God would run out to meet his son. 
that he would pick up his dirty, broken down son and clean him off and throw a party just because he came home. I struggled to believe that God was that kind of God. For me, it's so easy to read a verse about God's anger or God's wrath or God's justice and be like, yeah, that person got what they deserve for sure. Like, they should have seen that coming. But then when you read about God's love, and I thought, I don't, I don't get this. And I, I don't know if that's like a, that, that's like a man thing, I, you know. But for years then, one of the things that I would pray again and again is, God, open my heart to understanding your love. Help me to feel your love. And slowly, God began to do that. God began to soften my heart for people around them. I spent time just reading through scripture about God's love and and seeing things like this. Did you know one of the clearest messages throughout the Bible is that God loves you? One of the clearest messages in the Bible. Do you know one of the things that you see throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that God always takes the first step? You don't. I don't. God comes relentlessly pursuing after us. Do you know one of the things you see throughout Psalms? The moment that you feel forgotten, the Psalms tell us God has never forgotten your name. If you don't like the way that you look, if you're like, no one could love this body, no one could love this, the Bible tells us God created you in his image and knows you and he is not scared away. See, one of the things that changed, I still remember, as I began to understand this, one of the goals that I had in my life from the time I was growing up was I wanted people to know who I was. I wanted to stand on platforms. I wanted to, to, to speak to large crowds. It was, it was what I pursued my adult life. I, as soon as I graduated college, I started seminary. As soon as I graduated seminary, I started my doctorate all so that I could have the words doctor in front of my name because that would make me somebody. And I remember... I was 80% of the way through my doctorate. And I was flying from Arizona to Philadelphia twice a year for classes. And I came back, and Katie had driven up to Phoenix. It was a two-hour drive to Tucson, and she picked me up. And we're driving back, and I said, I- I'm done. And she said, what do you mean you're done? I said, I, I don't want to go back. I don't want to finish my doctorate. And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, I, I just don't care anymore if anyone knows who I am. And it was in that moment that I began to see that God had opened my heart to his love, that I knew it, that I knew it didn't matter what I did. It didn't matter if I had letters after my name. And and that may not be it for you. Your thing might be totally different. Your thing might be a family picture where everybody matches. That may be your thing. That's what love is for you. I don't know. That's a cool goal, though. I don't know. Your thing might be the number of offices that your company has. Your thing might be the things that people say about you at your retirement party. I don't know what it is for you. 
But there is a thing that you are pursuing after and you are hoping that in that, God will love you more. See, because I was convinced that if I was a doctor, God would love me more. I never said that. I didn't verbalize that to anybody. I never told anyone. I didn't put it on my application for the school when they said, why are you applying and put God, so God will love me? But that was why. And I don't know what it is for you, but, but here's the thing. Here's what I don't want you to miss as you walk out. God loves you even if that doesn't happen. And he's not going to love you less if it doesn't happen. And he's not going to be disappointed in you if it doesn't happen. In fact, he's going to be really proud of the Instagram photo that all of you don't match in. Why? Because as Jesus comes up out of the water before he does anything, God says, this is my son who I'm loved. Because the most important thing about you is that you are loved by God. There were all kinds of places that we could have started this new season. But I wanted us to start here. I don't want us to ever forget as a church that the most important thing about you is that you're loved by God. It's the most important thing about you. It's the one thing that God doesn't want you to ever forget. It's the one thing that God is going to pursue after you to remind you daily of his love. We see it every time we take communion and every time we celebrate baptism. We see it as we remind ourselves of God's love and grace for us. We see it as we sit in community groups together of God saying, I, I, I don't want you to do this alone. My love is that you get to experience relationships. As we pray, as we open up scripture as a church, we're reminding ourselves of God's love that he wants to actually hear from us. I mean, imagine, God wants us to talk to him and he wants to speak back to us. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to pull out your uh, Connect card. Bob mentioned it at the beginning of the service. For those of you who are here when, when Bob was on the screen, kudos to you for being on time. You get a gold star in heaven for that. Uh, I'm kidding. But every week, we want to ask you to pull out your Connect card. Whether, you're, whether this is your first time or you've been here 100 times. I know I, I've met some of you, and you, you've been here over 40 years, which is unbelievable. But we want to know every single week that you're here. Because one of the things that we believe, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, is that God has a next step for you every single week. God has something that he's doing in us, that he's drawing us into, that he wants us to know about him, or that, that we need to learn about ourselves, that God has a next step for us. And we want to help you take that next step. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. If you're in a place where you'd say, you know, I, Josh, I just don't understand God's love for me. I don't know how to live that out. I don't know how to do that practically. I don't know how to, to parent from a place, to work from a place, to spend money from a place knowing that God loves me. Then in the prayer request box, I just want you to write the word love. And if that's you, we're going to send you an email tomorrow that's going to walk you through some ways to experience that on a daily basis. How do you do that on a daily basis? How do you drive knowing that God loves you? How do you do that? How do you let go of the things that have defined your life for so many years and live from a place of God's love defining you? Or maybe you're in a place where you're a new follower of Jesus, or maybe today you're taking that step of following Jesus and your next step is to get baptized. This 
outward expression of what God has done in your life where we are, are saying, God, this is, this is who I am. This is what you have done in my life. And if that's you, we want you to write the word baptism. We're gonna follow up with you to help you take that step. And yes, you can write both words in if you want. That's totally great. But we believe every single week, and this is what our hope is that we experience as a church, is that God has a next step for us, and we want to walk in that. We don't just want God's love to be uh, just an idea, but we want it to be something that we live from. And so as we close today, we're, we're going to close with a song that, that honestly was new for me, but as I listened to it this week, it is the perfect song for us to end uh, today on. And here, here are some of the lyrics that we're going to sing. Jesus, you're not done with me. You're doing a new thing. Your love is never going to give up. You're never going to give up. And we need to proclaim that. We need to remind ourselves that God's love is never going to give up, that God is never going to give up on us. And so I, I want to invite you to stand as we just respond and sing this together.